SBS Audio is supported by advertising. Wow! This ship is totally sick, man. Open your stupid ears and listen. Get ready to beam aboard. This is Orville Land, the weekly Orville podcast in which we'll never ask you about your parental leave intentions. My name is Dan Barris, and I'm joined here by the regular crew of Orville Land. First of all, Lieutenant Shelley Peacock, how are you? Greetings, hi. And joining us for the first, but also the third time, it's Mr. Sid Sharma. I'm very happy to be here again. Yeah, now I didn't call you Ensign Sid Sharma. Oh, well, I mean, maybe I've been promoted. Well, maybe, I don't know. We'll take us to the review committee and okay. yeah, Please. work through this. Guys, we're here talking about a new episode of The Orville. We're here for episode three. Shelley. I believe you are such a fan of Orville Land at this point, you have not listened back to either of the two episodes. No, I'm too scared. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> Look, I know we're doing a good job, right? But I'm just, I'm just a bit nervous. Things are going all right. <laughs> now, Sid, I believe you've listened to the previous two episodes conservatively at least 15 times apiece. Oh, well, you know, one does tire of hearing one's voice. Yeah. Now, last week, if people didn't hear it, we did have a chat with the Orville star, Adrian Palicki. Yeah, that was lovely. Yeah, but why? when I say we, I mean myself and Sid, uh, Shelley wasn't invited on that oh, one. Oh, sad. <laughs> Still devastated. <laughs> but Shelley, as penance for not coming along when we asked you to come to that meeting where we had a chat with a Hollywood celebrity, <laughs> could you do this, Yona, and read through what it is that took place on this week's Orville? They say you can never go home again, which is how Alara felt when she was forced to take medical leave from the Orville. If you can reacclimate to Salean gravity, there's a 90% chance you'll regain your strength. How would she reacclimate? She's gonna have to return to her home planet. After spending some time on her home planet with her family. Your mother and I have decided that a trip out to the beach house might do us all some good. Trip to the beach isn't gonna fix 20 years. Alara gets involved in a mystery. Is that ladle clean? Yes, of course it is. It looks a little dirty. This leads her to realise she wants to work on developing a better relationship with her family and says goodbye to the crew of the Orville. Captain, the Orville has been so much more than I ever could have wished for. Yeah, now this is a shock ending. I, was mm. anyone expecting to see Alara say goodbye to us? No way. N- me neither. They were kind of saying it up as if she would come back and they'd be a happy crew forever and after. Mm. Yeah. yeah. She was such an integral part of the crew. She was. I think she's a beloved character as Mm. well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now, I had an inkling that we were going to say goodbye to her at some points fairly early into the series run, purely because I was on the Reddit forums and people (laughs) were talking about the fact that the actress had been seen like in photos like on other coasts from where they were filming and there was lots of detective work and people had like string up on a board and they were connecting the various theories for the next. Meta spoilers are the worst. Mm. (laughs) So anyway, I kind of saw it coming a little bit. So when I saw it was a whole episode dedicated to her, I was like, I kind of think this is it. Mm. But it was like a lovely extension from that season one episode where you met her parents. Firestorm. Firestorm, yeah. yes. Episode 10 was a goodie. So I just thought, you know, that we were developing her character more. You got so connected to her and we love her. And at the end, pulled the rug from out from under you. And I was like, whoa, got very upset. Now, I've got what I discovered is a bias when I was watching this episode. There's a thing with TV shows, and it happens in almost every show. There's a character of whom at some point it's like a standalone episode where the character goes off and pursues their youth. And usually it's completely divorced from whatever else is happening on the show. So you see very little of the other characters. And it's like just a single storyline and usually they reconnect with their family and do more or less what we saw happen in this episode. Mm -hmm. And I don't like these episodes. (gasps) 
I know, it's shocking to say, but it's just, there's something about this as a story device that I see all the time and I just never connect to it. And the three of us sat in a room watching it and you two were enjoying it and I just wasn't connecting to it. Mm. So I don't know what it is about these sorts of stories that just doesn't work for me. I kind of get it as well. I mean, especially with shows like The Orville, which the ensemble of the cast is so important to the the kind of feel of the show and the comedy because it's really yeah. riffy. Yeah, the camaraderie, I yeah. think, is a very big part of it. Yeah, so when it does focus on one character, and I guess this episode kind of had a bit more of a somber tone because it's sort of a Lara just going through this identity crisis because her one trait that she's really proud of, which is her strength, is is questioned. The somber tone, though, is actually a regular thing that you see when they execute this kind of an episode. Mm. So the two episodes that come to mind for me when I'm thinking about this as a subgenre of television, <laughs> it's weird we're ever getting to this, <laughs> uh, there's an episode of The West Wing, uh-huh. okay, which is a season four episode where Alice and Janney's character, CJ Craig, she was the press secretary in the show, she ends up leaving the White House to go back to see her father who's suffering from, I think, Alzheimer's from memory. Right. So she's working with him through that one episode and then there's references to him again afterwards, but by and large, that's the storyline wrapped with. And there was an episode of Homicide Life on the Streets where you had the character of Detective Kay Howard who returned back to see her family in a very similar way as you see here in this episode Home. Well, I've definitely not seen Homicide Life on the Street. Yeah, but <laughs> I mean, for me, the feeling that I get from these episodes is when you're watching Lord of the Rings and the story flashes to the Frodo Samwise story and, mm. and I always kind of want to forward through that. They weren't your faves? Mm. No, no. Prefer the Merry and Pippin? Yeah. But I will say I did empathise with Alara's predicament in this because her parents are like really academic kind of target parents and being from migrant background myself, I kind of, I can kind of see that. (laughs) I can kind of, I kind of get that. Well, on the subject of the parents, we can maybe talk about the actors playing the roles because both of them are longtime TV veterans. Certainly. Shelley, who have we got here? Alara's dad, who's actually played by Robert Picardo, reprising his role, seen in season one. Yeah. Uh, and he's, uh, he's, I haven't seen it myself, but he's from Star Trek Voyager. Yeah, he's a beloved character from yeah. Voyager. He played the ship's doctor named the Doctor. No way. <laughs> totally. He was a hologram. Ah, yeah. that's right. And I was doing a bit of digging in IMDb. He has over 200, 230 odd credits to his name. But he was actually Johnny Cab. The robot from Total Recall. He absolutely wow. was. Fabulous. And I also remember him very well from an episode of 21 Jump Street. Wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's a man of many faces. No, if you look at his IMDb, he's done a lot of stuff over the years. And also the only cast member of Star Trek Voyager that I've seen in real life. What? It was like a fan convention, so it doesn't really count. <laughs> so cool. Awesome. Mm. He's, a, he's a doctor in this one as well. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he, yeah. he rides papers and... Yeah. At the university, right, yeah. If we're going to talk about celebrities that we've had encounters with from the show, uh, both myself and Sid have both met Adrian Felicki. Uh, yeah, it was, it was great. <laughs> it was over the phone. It wasn't at a fan convention. No, so. good lord. But I've also met Penny Gerald Johnson, who plays the ship's doctor in this series. What? Yeah. Dr. Clare Yeah. Again, it was at another fan convention, but I was, and it was a pretty low turnout crowd. This is like maybe about like 10, 15 years ago. Wow. And this was her making an appearance off the... I don't even remember why she was there, really. It might have been because she was in 24, because she played the president's wife in the first few seasons Ooh, of that show. Yep. But I knew her really well as a big fan of the Larry Sanders show, where she played Larry Sanders' receptionist, Beverly. <gasps> wow, do you mm. remember... But anyway, what? my phone rang during <laughs> the thing, and she like beckoned me to give her my phone, and so she was chatting with my friend Dennis <gasps> over the... No way. Yeah. 
But anyway, oh, she's very funny and it's nice. It's amazing. I mean, that's a good that's a good way to deal with what's not a heckle, but is a heckle. Yeah. <laughs> Your phone rings in a conference. Yeah. Because yeah. the phone rang and I'm like, <laughs> not now. Oh, no. And then she called me up. But there was like 20 odd people in a room. It was cool. That's hilarious. Yeah. Well, sounds like she handled it well. Mm. Yeah. But anyway, uh, also alongside Rob Picardo in this episode, we've got Molly Hagan playing her mother. Yes. Uh, also a bit more digging. Well, she has... Infinity credits as well, but she was. Molly Hagan has been a working actress appearing in pretty much every US TV series since the early mid 80s. Literally everything. Yeah. I was like, I know her from so many things. What do you know her best from? Oh, Seinfeld. (laughs) She was Sister Roberta. So she's the nun who falls for Kramer Mm -hmm. because Kramer's got the Kavorka. He's got that power. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Tracks the ladies. (laughs) Now, I know her from the early 90s sitcom Herman's Head. Wow. Where she was one of the people inside Herman's head. Very mm. interesting. No, oh, it's not that interesting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, people in an SBSE sort of a context might know her from the film Election, where she played the wife of the Matthew Broderick character. Oh, awesome! Mm. I didn't. I didn't. Didn't know that. No. no, no. But I'm terrible with faces and names. So, any cute guys on that ship? Some, yeah. With Alara leaving, the immediate thought that I had was taking it back to the end of the first season of Star Trek Next Generation, where you've got the head of security, Lieutenant Tasha Yar, played by the great Denise Crosby, and she wanted to leave the series, so they wrote her out in the season finale, and so she was killed by some sort of large oil-based monster. Ooh. And so, because obviously we've got another head of security here leaving, <laughs> yes. the parallels to that episode were quite strong in that you had an actress leaving the show, but they didn't really construct the episode in the same no, way. No, no. Actually, in this episode of The Orville, I was surprised there were less deaths than I'm used to. I think there were only two that I clocked. There was uh, the housekeeper on the island, Ceres, mm. who vanished and they found his bloody remains in the uh, in the house. I, I felt bad for that character. Yeah, he just mm-hmm. kind of appeared and was just killed off. And he'd been with the family for years, apparently. Yeah. yeah, Very sad. That was weird. (laughs) And then there was also, um, well, we saw Alara shoot uh, Florada, one of the home invaders, in the stomach. And I presume that space lasers kill. So, Mm. yeah. Now, we learn in the episode that Alara's family obviously come from Means. Like, that's a really nice house they've got. Yeah, on the the beach. And that's their holiday home as well. That's their holiday home, Mm. yeah. Zelaya is a pretty phenomenal looking place. Yeah, it looks like South California. When they were doing the flyover, Gordon... A lot of the planets in the show seems to look like Southern California. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's remarkable is how much England looks in no way like Southern California. Now, I was watching the episode and I've got a question for Sid on this one because I think he's the one who's going to relate here. There's a scene where they're brushing the... Is it Evac, the horse-type creature? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Wild Evac, Evac. Yeah. yeah. Now, this might be a Dan thing because I've spent a lot of time doing this lately, but I've been playing a lot of Red Dead Redemption 2 and there's a lot of brushing of horses going on there. <laughs> That's immediately where my mind went. Sid, I know you've spent a lot of time in the Red Dead world. I have, I have, or as I like to call it, Barbie Simulator, where I brush <laughs> my horse and I braid its tail and its mane. Is your horse named Barbie? No, 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 but I mean, if there were a Barbie Simulator, I assume that's what you'd do. You'd brush mm-hmm. horses and stuff. You know? What did you name yeah. your horse? My horse was named Hecate. Okay. Yeah, but I'm a pretentious douchebag. So. Yeah, that's a lot more pretentious than what I named my horse. Which was Cloppy? Se- no, Santos <laughs> El Halper. <laughs> uh, well, look, it's it's important to keep your evacs morale high. I mean, you can't <laughs> let it get dirty, especially when you need to traverse those dunes along the Zelayan oh, coast. Yes, what a glorious scene that was. Yeah. Was that a, a daydream of Alara's galloping majestically across the sand? Yeah, was that presumably because she couldn't really, she wasn't, 
very mobile in this episode. I presume so. She had that really cool chair that she was getting around in. Yeah. Another indication that her family comes from means. Mm. They had a floating wheelchair. Could well be the people of that planet have a very good healthcare system. Yeah, yeah. Let's not discount that. Well, so Zalea is an interesting (laughs) planet and an interesting culture. They're hyper-intellectual, which is uh, a cool way to look at it because they're also one of the strongest sort of um, alien species in that universe, it seems. At least from the the characters on the Orville, the Zaleans are like the strongest ones. Mm. But they uh, they really despise using brawn and they're very much about their intellect, almost like, I guess, Vulcans in Star Trek. That's right. And they kind of really downplay the importance of the military, I guess, and that's why they're always kind of a bit like, eh, Alara, come home, study again. Yeah. Though they keep saying that she's intellectually slow. Yeah. yeah like every time we meet the parents, they're like, you're so slow. I'm like, what? <laughs> Have we seen any evidence of that? But it's hilarious. But it could be that she's using her intellect not for areas of academia, but rather mm. for her detective work. You're right. Yes, we saw a lot of that in this episode. And so a lot of this episode, and I'm not sure they really quite sort of met, like stuck to landing on it, but I feel the episode was largely about the fact that she has a strong skill base. She really can contribute in a very meaningful way to the world around her, mm-hmm. but it's in a way that is quite divorced from what she's been used to and what the expectations of her have been growing up. Yeah. And I think that's kind of like part of Ed Mercer's dialogue with her sort of towards the beginning of the episode where where her confidence is shocked because she's broken her arm in a arm wrestle with Isaac. And uh, Ed, Ed tells her, he's like, look, you don't have to be the strongest person on the ship, you will have a staff, you can have as many people as you like, but it's kind of your brains that we could we could mm. use. So you're right, Dan, I don't think they really stuck that either in this episode. Yeah, but like the con- the subtext of it all was very much there. Yeah, yeah. And it was actually, it was kind of Lara's quick thinking that saved her entire family in the end when Cambus and Florada tried to murder them all. Yeah, there was a really nice moment I liked in the episode where she was in the uh, space vehicle thing with her sister Solana and the sister just said that she's been very jealous of Alara's life. And I just kind of like that sort of nice private moment between two sisters, able to have that conversation away from the parents who very much dominated the, more set the agenda for the way that relationship's supposed to exist. Yeah, and her sister kind of calls out the prejudice that a lot of Zelands would feel towards her, that they think they're above her because she's a military person mm. and not an academic. But also, if everyone on the planet's an academic... I, I don't understand how that society would work either. And I guess, meanwhile, back on the Orville, who did we meet? There was a new chief of security on board. Lieutenant Thorl. Oh, yeah, this is my esophagus. My species has a crazy high metabolism, so we evolved two esophaguses, one on the inside, one on the outside, so we can just pound food. Yeah. How do we feel? Love him. Yeah. Who is it? Another Seinfeld. It, it is another Seinfeldian uh, <laughs> casting here. Uh, this is the great Patrick Warburton. Oh, love him. Yeah. Which, again, I picked that voice. He's got such a distinctive mm. voice. Well, he, you couldn't tell at all the way Thar looks with his second esophagus trunk thing. <laughs> so, uh, Dan, that was really impressive when you did that. I wasn't that impressive. Like, yeah, well, that's twice you've done that now. You can pick it. Like, As I said, I'm instantly. bad with faces and, yeah. and names and voices. And voices. Yeah. <laughs> But Patrick Warburton, his delivery just amuses me to no end. Obviously, if people don't know Patrick Warburton, he played Putty in Seinfeld, but also he came, kind of came to prominence playing The Tick in the early 2000s. Mm. Sid suddenly just came alive in thinking about The Tick. Oh, well, look, I didn't spend too much time on it, but I did enjoy it. <laughs> it was a very short-lived series. I yeah. think it was only like eight or 13 episodes yeah, for yeah. about canned. But yeah, it was a very memorable show. Mm. And don't forget Kronk from Emperor's New Groove. That's right. (laughs) So I never saw the Emperor's New Groove. Oh, do it tonight. (laughs) (laughs) 
I won't be sure to. But like, he's got such a way with delivery. Oh, sorry, people might also know him from, it was a sitcom that aired here in Australia on Channel 10, I think CBS in the US, called <gasps> Rules of Engagement. Still co-starring David Spade. Yeah, he was in that, wasn't yep, he? Yep, Yeah. Uh, I like that. Yeah. I like those two together. <laughs> on 10 for a while there. Hang on. Wasn't David Spade also in Emperor's New Groove? Wasn't he the emperor? I'm looking at you guys. I've got, I've, Dan dying. hasn't seen it and well, I'm no. bad with faces, names <laughs> and voices. So I, I don't Neither know. Neither of you are any help. No. Nah. Sorry, <laughs> Disney animated films post-1968. I'm <laughs> no good. People comment below, if you can, to below a, a podcast note. Yeah. <laughs> get, get also link, yeah, like, subscribe. <laughs> <laughs> but Patrick Warburton has a great way of delivering a line and I particularly liked in this episode where he says that the ship is bitchin'. Yeah, I was checking it out on the way up here. I'm like, man, this is bitchin'. <laughs> my my favourite sort of um, Tharl line was just that little throwaway he does where he kind of points at Mercer's desk and he's like, hey, what is that? Uh, Kermit the Frog? Sick. Sick. <laughs> What's he thinking there? He just kind of... He, mm. he, Ed didn't explain it at all, but he still, he still reckons it's sick. It is sick. I really like that Thoreau says that he likes working through lunch because he does have two esophaguses. Yeah. He can yeah. just pound that food, apparently. Just pound it. <laughs> now, there was another really cool cast member in this one where you had Norm MacDonald back as Yaffert. Yeah. And I like there was the conversation between uh, the captain and Kelly where they were talking about how Yaffert had uh, just passed his six-month evaluation and he started inquiring about the ship's parental leave policy. <laughs> but Yaffert's six-month evaluation was last week and he asked what our parental leave policy is. Why? Is he thinking of splitting in half? We can't legally ask him that. Yeah, and, and Yaffert apparently just kind of divides into two. Is, <laughs> is that the... Uh, that's the kind of like insinuation there. It's great, but you just don't ask about these things. Yeah, I guess not. But I would be excited to see two Yaffets. That could be really fun. And the inference seems to be that this isn't the first time that Yaffet's done it either. <laughs> Maybe there's another Yaffet on another kind of union ship somewhere. Mm. If you go down below deck, there's just an entire deck that's just filled with Yaffets, as yeah. far as y'all can see. It's like Flubber, almost. <laughs> <gasps> now, Shelley, you and I were talking about the show after we finished watching it. And you had gone back and rewatched the episode, but we watched it collectively as a group in front of a TV. Mm. But you started listening to it with the headphones on. Yeah. And what did you take away from that? It's that music. Yeah. That rousing heroic score. Now, do you know why it sounded so good? Because Seth MacFarlane loves his scores, yeah. loves his music, and uh, I think he employed a number of Emmy-nominated and Oscar-nominated composers and. Yeah, orchestra so, members. Yeah, so that's absolutely spot on. And orchestra members is kind of the key thing here. So with TV production, a lot of the time nowadays, it's not like an orchestra producing the music. So feature films, when you listen to a musical score, mm. often there's an actual proper orchestra of whom are making that music. Yeah. And that used to be the way with a lot of TV shows being produced. So you find that less and less as people are trying to save money in the TV industry as budgets blow out. Mm. There's a lot more expectation on them. But orchestras are uh, something which Seth MacFarlane believes heavily in. And even while The Simpsons has phased out using an orchestra for their mus incidental music, all of the Seth MacFarlane shows all have orchestras, wow. including this show. Yeah. So with this, he has, uh, he's actually got like a bunch of Emmy-nominated uh, musicians involved here. So working on the pilot for the series, as well as the theme song, uh, you got Bruce Browson. Now, he has been around for years and years. Mm. He did an episode of Buck Rogers in the 25th century from the early 80s. I don't think it's a 70s show. Maybe it's late 70s, early 80s. Mm. But he did that show. Uh, he also did the movie Lost in Space. Yes. You know, the great oh, film with Matt yes. LeBlanc. Yes, yes. <laughs> Classic. 
Uh, he's got about 10 Emmys behind him. And then for the regular duties on the show, you've got Joel McNeely, who worked on Seth MacFarlane's film A Million Ways to Die in the West, which I have to say I did not care for in the cinema at all. But based on having watched a fair bit of The Orville now, I'm tempted to go back and see mm, if yeah. I want to give another shot Yeah, there. I want to. I might. And also another guy, John Debney, and he's recorded a whole bunch of scores for TV shows, including a lot of sci-fi things, including Sequest DSV. Ooh. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. You know, like the intro theme is really cool and obviously reprises a lot during all the episodes. But just like incidental music as well is really beautiful. And then this episode ended with like a stirring farewell. There was no dialogue. It was just the the score and it was really, really emotional and I loved it. It was beautiful. Absolutely. It also, I don't know if there's an actual score available to buy anywhere, but I know that a large number of chunks of the score are being provided on places like SoundCloud. Mm. So you can go and take a listen to it. I will. I don't know how legitimate that is, but it is out ah. there. Yeah, it all, it also kind of just really feels to me like a sci-fi thing. Like you don't really have as much scope for that symphonic rousing music mm. when it's just kind of like a a gritty character drama or something like yeah. that. It just doesn't work. And a lot of kind of um, TV shows have very minimal kind of audio because they're so dialogue driven. But this has lots of those kind of sweeping vistas of the this the ship and the Zelayan coast and that yes. kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Plus it's a it's just a real sci-fi thing to, for me. I always hear that kind of symphonic score mm. and I think space. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think the Star Trek shows through the nineties all had orchestra yeah. scores. So it makes sense of this show, which is evoking so much of that classic yeah. Star Trek. Yeah, definitely. Sorry, classic Star Trek. I suddenly feel like an old man now. <laughs> we record this on the week that the Sopranos is celebrating its twentieth anniversary. Mm. And suddenly I'm just like thinking a whole lot of time has passed since wow. you know. Yeah. Since the glory days of the 90s. So I think of like 90s Star Trek as being classic Star Trek now. Yeah. It's weird. I think of that time as being classic Sid when I was <laughs> under the years of 10 years old. Oh, gosh. Sorry, Dan. I'm not that much older. Look what I found. Frizzy and champagne. Oh, Ildis, you've been holding out on us. I propose a toast, sweetie. Happy birthday to our little boy. Now, we're going to wind up the conversation about the episode specifically in just a moment, but I want to pose a question to the both of you. The final scene where Alara rocks up to Ed's office and she's got the box, did mm. anyone have like any immediate assumptions what was in there? Because my mind went straight to the end of the movie 7. Put the gun down, David. It seems that envy is my sin. No, what's in the box? Not you give me the what's gun. in the box? <laughs> <laughs> well, that would be terrifying. Um, maybe, yeah. maybe Isaac's arm. That could yeah. be a fitting end. <gasps> yeah. The show did go in a different direction, though, than what I thought. Yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. mm. yeah it was a really, really lovely present, wasn't it? It's just a little yaffet in there. Yeah. <laughs> now, every week on the show, we do like to wrap up episodes going a little bit deeper into the show with some of the science and uh, social cultural movements that really belie a lot of the stuff we see within the Orville. This week, and this stems from a conversation Sid and I were having, which is about some of the physics and the impact it has on people's bodies. And a lot of shows, particularly space shows, tend to ignore this kind of thing a fair bit. But the show goes there with the effects that it's had on Alara. Yeah, so it kind of dips into that hard sci-fi edge where it actually brings the physics into it. But that's kind of the <laughs> it's weird thing about the Orville is hard sci-fi. <laughs> no, well, it's it's not, but it. It does kind of pay that homage. Mm. But um, I guess that's the that's the main sort of tension in this show is that Alara's bone density is decreased because she spent so much time in low gravity. Yeah, so it's down like 5%. Yeah. And her muscle mass is down 20%. Mm. Yeah, so so it just kind of got Dan and myself thinking about sort of muscle atrophy and that kind of thing and how that's a very real kind of concern 
for space travel, which hopefully we'll all be doing a lot more of in the yes. 2019. Come on, bring it on. You. Now, I love that we started talking about this and the conversation then moved on to Slack where you were talking about some of the things you'd found. And it led to Shelley talking about the legalities of <laughs> where a person's born and what it relates to their nationhood. Well, for some reason, I just went onto a tangent deep on the web. I'm like, what happens when you're born on a plane over a country or over international waters? And I was like, what's happening when you're having a baby on a, on a spaceship? Yeah. Like in with, you know, within the next few years of space tourism, is that a thing? Like are you a space baby if you're born? Well, like I think it begs a good question for this <laughs> show because <laughs> people are travelling to different areas of space. Yeah. Well, and if, you know, who knows what sort of, you know, shenanigans take place on board. If they mm-hmm. stick to earth conventions, then you would be born a citizen of the place where the spaceship is registered. That blows my mind. Yeah. Or if you in orbit over certain planets that allow the right to citizenship for flyovers, then you could claim citizenship of that planet. But, like, technically how high up do you need to be for it to be considered a flyover? Well, would I you have to be within the atmosphere or could you be in a stratosphere? Is like, that what's still the... technically airspace if you're outside of the atmosphere? Yeah, like well, if you're just buzzing it's, past. It's space space. So I reckon low Earth orbit or low planet orbit, I reckon that's, that's fine. If you're just, within the gravitational pull of that planet... Then, mm-hmm then you have the right to be a citizen of it if you're born there. But, like, let's say that Yaffet, for example, is doing a flyby past the Orville <laughs> ship in, like, another smaller craft in the same way that Ed Mercer did in a previous episode. <laughs> but, like, the Orville is actually close to another planet. Like, does the Yaffet offspring belong to, like, what's happening on the Orville or is it on the planet? It gets very confusing. But something that isn't confusing is the effects of space on the human body. Yes, yeah. So, um... I guess kind of we're sort of on the threshold where we're going to start to experience it a lot more, especially with astronauts doing like long stints at the International Space Station. And there's like space tourism, which is about to be a thing. Mm-hmm. That's about to be a thing. So like I think the first space tourist was a guy called Guy Laliberté, who is the founder of Cirque du Soleil and the Russian space agency took him up to the International Space Station in 2009. Wow. So he'd be French? Well, I guess. So. With that name? Yeah, but... Yeah. French-Canadian? Mm, yep. It could be. Mm. It could be. What, what's his thoughts on poutine? <laughs> well, I, I guess his citizenship is where his circus was at the time he was born. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so he was the first space tourist, and then I guess actually in December last year in 2018, um, Virgin Atlantic did a test flight, and they were the first yes. flight to reach space from the US since 2011, when the last space shuttle mission was. Wow! And they're actually planning to take paying customers up into space this year. Yeah, and I've been talking about this for like a couple of decades now. Like it's yeah, 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 they have, they have, and I guess you've got SpaceX and all these other kind of companies, and really, it's going to be those private companies that do make space tourism mm. happen. Mm. But if you are up in space, if you happen to be sipping a mojito by Lake Kraken on Titan or something, then you very <laughs> much will be affected by low gravity because mm. I th- it's like in zero gravity, your bone density gr- decreases by about one percent every month. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, and and then what if you have to live on Mars, where the gravity is about three eighths of what it is here on Earth? Whoa! Yeah, you could you could if you're there long enough, you could actually evolve into a different subspecies of human. Sheesh. Yeah. Now I was reading some articles about this, and what kind of caught me was one where they were talking to Chris Hadfield, who's the astronaut. I think he was out there with the guitar. Yeah. Is that the yeah, right astronaut? Yeah. 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 So he's a Canadian guy, and he was talking about the effects on his body when he came back to Earth. 
And so he was saying that sometimes you get a bit of a blocked nose, that can be an issue. But the thing that he was really dwelling on was the way that your body shifts in terms of the fluid that exists in your body. So your ankles swell a fair bit and often in the same way that when you stand on your head, like all of your blood and other bodily fluids like start rushing yeah, towards like that yeah. end of your body, uh, the same thing happens with space where suddenly your head starts getting a lot more fluid in it. So people start looking really sort of pudgy as a result. Oh, wow. Yeah. wow. It starts well, to look a little bit fat. Well, I mean, for a lean astronaut who's been in space, I mm. guess I guess he'd whip himself into shape pretty quick. Yeah, he's but not yeah. exactly a big guy. <laughs> no, but it would affect a lot of stuff, like your geospatial awareness. Like you could reach for a glass and it just it's a bit off, your balance, all kinds of things. Yeah. Apparently it impacts upon your eye, like your visual abilities. So they've found like optic nerve swellings taking place, retinal changes, uh, changes in the shape of the eye itself. And there's also a suggestion there might be an increase in intracranial pressure. Wow. 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 Yeah, don't go to space, guys. Yeah. Not for me. Well, maybe do go to space. Maybe do go to space. Um, you can... just have to wear like really big pressurised goggles at all times, right? <laughs> be a real big bugger. You should paint uh, that, like Shelly. I will. Shelly's not a scientist. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> Nor is she a doctor. So do I'm not the lame in here. Her. I don't yeah. know what I'm talking about. <laughs> no, no, no. You were wrong. And you are going to admit that you were wrong. Well, well, up on the space station, they've uh, got this machine called MARES, M-A-R-E-S, which is, I think, Muscle Atrophy Research Exercise System or something like that, where this thing kind of like measures the torque from every tiny little muscle movement that you do. Like, for instance, if you're holding a glass and someone's pouring water into it, your muscles are constantly adjusting for it. Wow. So what this thing does is it makes your body move and it measures all those tiny little muscles that you didn't even think you were using, and then it makes you exercise them. So that, like, they're trying to do all this kind of, like, research up in space to figure out how this stuff works because, yeah, we're not quite there yet. Now, before we wrap things up, we do like to talk about our favourite moments from the episode. Sid, let's kick things off with you, sir. What was it that really rocked your world here? Well, I guess it would have to be the introduction of Thal, which I, I figure <laughs> will be a fan favourite because that guy was bitching. Um, <laughs> He's yeah. sticking around, right? Right? I, I don't know. I mean, they had to cut a little sort of like belly button hole in his uniform, so I guess <laughs> I guess they'll make it worth it. Oh, he said he brought those with him. Mm, he's true, got a whole stash, true. so he's fine. Well, I hope he sticks around because yeah, I just like his unique take on things. He just seems enthusiastic but chilled at the same time, and I like that in Chief's security. It's needed. Also, him eating stew on the bridge was, that was fantastic. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, Shelley... Any thoughts? What was your favourite part of the episode? The I think the, the closing scene, the the farewell in the hangar with the whole crew, it, it really affected me and uh, I won't forget it. Also, uh, Alara got a hug from Bortus, which I thought was really lovely. So. <laughs> You've been shipping those two for a while oh, now. Oh, I have. <laughs> not not Alara and Dan? <laughs> um, mm, okay, yeah, sweetness. Sweetness. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> My favourite moment, it's not really a favourite moment, I guess it's just the big question I had at the end. Uh, you've got the moment where obviously the gravity is significantly greater on Alara's planet than our own and the people on the Orville ship. So with this, you had Lieutenant Gordon Malloy grabs a aluminium bottle and throws it out on the ground and then suddenly the high density of the gravity just like pressurise and, you know, hit it like flat. My question is this, is he just littering that now? Yeah, I guess he can't step out and go get it. No. Well, he did call himself trash. And his family trash. Yeah, I don't know. I think if you're a visitor to another planet, you don't just leave your trash around everywhere. Yeah, also those bottles aren't cheap. 
Like you have to go to a fancy like bookstore to get one of those aluminium double walled bottles. <laughs> I, I wouldn't be just lay, leaving them on planets. But nah. is it the same sort of five cent refund? Oh, I don't know. Mm. This brings us to the end of Orville Land for another week. Now, if you want to watch the Orville, surely there's got to be a really good way to do it via broadcast TV. Sid Sharma, is there such a way? I think there is. On your television, if on Friday nights you tune into SBS Viceland at 9pm, you can watch the Orville there. That's perfect for a Friday night, because look, let's be honest, I mean, I'm dropping Star Trek references through a podcast. I've got nothing going on on a Friday. <laughs> and I'm basically always watching the Orville anyway, so... Yeah, so mm-hmm. perfect. But there's people out there who are probably of whom are like out dancing or painting the town red. Mm. I don't know what people do. I'm not sure what the kids are into. But Shelley, surely there's some sort of a platform, a streaming media platform that is available to watch episodes weekly anytime, some sort of on-demand type thing. And I ask you, marketing executive from SBS On Demand, is there such a venue? There certainly is, Dan. And oh it's my called... God. What's it called? SBS On Demand. Holy moly. And it's the best. And you should all download it. Sorry, SBS On Demand? Mm-hmm. You're mm. using inverted commas. That's what it's yep. called, right? Yeah. Yep. Uh, SBS On Demand, available via most apps or on your smart TVs and your iAndroids and your iOSs. And... Is there some sort of website I can just type in to bring it up? Hmm. Maybe try sbs.com.au forward slash on demand. Wow. My mind is blown. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We want people to get in contact with us and a way you can do that is through social media. If you're on a social media platform and you want to tweet about the show or post on Facebook, whatever, use the hashtag OrvilleLand. Maybe you want to talk to us directly. Now, Shell, you're not on the Twitter, but you are on Instagram. How do people find you there? Yeah, it's uh, at underscore H-E-L-L-B-E-L-L-Z underscore That's so Hellbells. <laughs> That's so hardcore. There's lots of hockey sticks going It's a very silly there. name. <laughs> uh, Mr. Sid Sharma, you're also on the Instagram, I believe. I am. You can find me there at my magician name, which is at Amraz, A-M-R-A-H-S. And people can find me at the Dan Barrett on every single social media platform there's ever been. Wow. Gosh. Wow! Not all of them. <laughs> you know, the ones you're probably thinking of, I'm probably there. So you can do that. But we do recommend, like, hashtag the heck out of Orville land. Like, just spread it everywhere like Mm -hmm. a disease. We want to see that thing as far as the internet can wander. Yeah. So do that. But particularly, if you are enjoying this podcast, please leave comments and reviews on your podcast platforms of choice, whether that's Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or wherever you've been listening to this show. Leave a review. It helps other people find the show. And it's particularly important in the early days of a podcast like this for us to build up the audience now and for people to find that we exist. Yeah. Spread around like an intergalactic porn virus. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, Because the more people that listen to the show, the more it guarantees there'll be more episodes of the show. Yeah, exactly. And we want that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We'd like to stick around and have a chat about the Orville each week. (laughs) That brings us to the end for another week. Thank you very much for listening to Orville Land. We'll be back next week. Thank you, Shelley. Thank you very much. Thank you, Sid. Thank you, Dan and Shelley. We'll speak with you then. Thank you.